Non-rock-a-boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional. Delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yeah! 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 What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go in the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. Well, I, yeah. got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. Take an amazing journey. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. Proverbs 20, verse 23. One, actually, of many verses in the Word of God on that specific subject. There's actually quite a lot about it. But the Proverbs puts it together a nice single solid verse there for you guys. I encourage everybody to head over to ApologiaStudios.com. Pick up more content there at ApologiaStudios.com, A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A, Studios.com. This is the Gospel Heard Around the World, Apologia Radio. We're glad you guys have joined us for a very important show we're having today. I am Jeff. They call me the Ninja. That's Luke the Bear. What up? And that is Mr. Zachary Conover right there. Hey, hey. The Director of Communications for End Abortion Now. So glad you joined us uh, today for this important show. Uh, we're grateful to be here. It's an important subject. So for all you guys that are live with us right now, welcome to the show. You'll note at the beginning of this that it says, responding to our friend Douglas Wilson on abolition. Now, I want everyone to know um, it's very important as we start a discussion like this that everyone understands sort of where we're at and where we're coming from yep. and how we're engaging this subject. Uh, you should know that Douglas Wilson is a good friend. Uh, Douglas Wilson is a brother in the Lord. Um, we love Doug uh, very, very much. We've spent time in Doug's home. We've eaten with Doug. Um, I don't even actually remember how many times. Um, Doug actually just recently did something for us for a big project we're doing. Uh, so we love the man. We're grateful for him. And uh, he is an asset to the work of the gospel of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And um, he's had a tremendous impact in our lives. And I'll just say for me personally, um, as a pastor, um, Doug has been an amazing brother, an amazing brother and friend. Um, I, I don't really actually remember how many times uh, just as a pastor, um, you know, you're, you're facing something down, trying to make sure you're not, you're not having any blind spots. You're looking through the Word of God. You're trying to apply biblical principles and use wisdom. I can't say how many times I've actually contacted Doug. Um, I think he's usually real late at night, and uh, Doug has always been available for yes. me um, to talk to me late at night even, to uh, to give me counsel and encouragement. 
uh, to check to see if I do have any blind spots. Um, there are a number of men in my life that are like that for me, and Doug is among them. He has always been so incredibly gracious to us, and um, he is a gift to the church. He truly, Amen. truly is. So I want to start this conversation with like you know putting Doug's name in a title, saying responding to him. I want, I want, and I messaged him ahead of time, make sure he understood we were doing this. I want him and everyone to understand this conversation is for the sake of unity, to check for blind spots in any of us, because the key issue here, what we're discussing in the issue of like abolition, uh, incrementalism versus immediatism, all that stuff in terms of like, uh, we would say unequal weights and measures, accepting those, partiality, accepting those, is that is that acceptable as we all work towards the end of uh, wow. the big A word? And I'm going to just... Um, um, I say this at the at the outset, um, Doug Wilson. I mean, we're we're like on the same page with Doug with virtually every area of our theology. Um, I mean, we're right on baptism, and he's wrong, <laughs> and so there's that element there. Um, Doug would love that. He would love that jab. But um, we're we're reformed. Um, we hold to the doctrines of grace. Uh, we all affirm sola scriptura, those essential elements of like the core stuff that everything comes from in terms of your your view of scripture, soteriology, all that stuff. We would have some differences in ecclesiology in terms of like leadership in the church and those sorts of things, but those are things that Christians have disagreed on right. throughout church history, and they shouldn't divide us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we would disagree on baptismal mode and those sorts of things. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, we're even on the same page in terms of eschatology and a view of the future. So, like, we're very, very, very aligned. And in particular on this subject, I want everyone to hear at the outset so there's no confusion whatever on this subject. Doug believes that the big A word is murder. Mm -hmm. He believes it's murder. Um, Doug is, uh, at his core, uh, a person who has a full commitment to the law word of God, that God's word is the ultimate standard. And not just like in a nebulous sort of way, like God's word, you know, sola scriptura, that's the standard, but actually even at a deeper level to say, like, if you want to know what justice truly is, and you, you have to go to God's definition for certainty. If you want to know, like, what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is beautiful, lovely, all that stuff, you got to go to God's word. And in particular, Doug has a full-on, strong, intense, consistent commitment to the law word of God as the ultimate standard for justice in society. And that is something that is actually unusual on, in our day in modern evangelism. Um, it's unusual because, you know, Doug's in line with the Puritans. We're in line with the Puritans exactly in right. terms of how we see society and the law word of God operating in society, even in the civil realm. So we're on the same page with Doug on that. And, and today we, we do plan, Doug, uh, to grab you by your theonomy. Um, and uh, famous, this is an inside nerd, theological nerd joke where Doug said once to James, I would grab them by their baptism. Well, today we hope to grab you by your theonomy, Doug. And uh, so at the outset, uh, this is a, a, a loving, respectful conversation where we hope to honor our brother, but also we hope to say there's some blind spots here and some inconsistencies and maybe even some things that Doug misunderstands. Yeah, just informing. Yeah, 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 yeah it just at the start. So I'll, that's my lead off. You guys go ahead and fill in here. No, I would just second everything you said about him. We have tremendous respect and, and love for him and the guys in Moscow and everybody there. You know, so much of what they do um, has blessed us and had a tremendous impact on us and on our lives personally. So yeah. exactly. All I can say is echo what you said. Yeah, and we work together a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. I was just going to say that 
when I listened to this the other day, uh, a lot a lot of what we're going to play here in a second we're in complete agreement with, mm-hmm. and I was actually very encouraged by it because I think it's been a bit of a shift maybe in from some of the stuff Doug said in the past. Um, and so I was very encouraged by that. And there was this one part we're going to get to at the end where I was like, eh, we should talk about that. Yeah, and so as we as we get into this conversation, again, welcome everyone to, to everyone who's in the comments. This is a very, very, I think, uh, important subject, but also hopefully very informative for you today. So I hope, hopefully this will actually ca- cast the, the possibility of actually growing together and understanding together and um, making sure we understand what are the most important parts and pieces here that we need mm-hmm. to be focusing in upon. So, but before we get into it, I want to make sure I announce to everybody, sign up for Bonson U. It's free, apologiastudios.com. Bonson U, you're going to get all of Dr. Greg Bonson's lectures, all that stuff, all there at apologiastudios.com, completely for free. Make sure you go sign up. If you haven't yet, you're missing out completely. Sign up for all access us and partner with us in this ministry and all that we're doing. If you're blessed by anything we're doing, it's 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 blessing you because somebody just like you is is partnering with us in this ministry to make it all possible. Somebody uh, is signed up for all access and um, and they're making this whole thing a reality. So again, thank you to all of our all access partners. When you're all access, you get additional content, uh, TV shows, after shows. You get Apology Academy, which is actually going to be improving soon, and a lot more added to that. You also get the Ask, ask Me Anything. I said, Ask Me Anything. <laughs> uh, the Ask Me Anything uh, once a month, where you actually log into a private feed where um, you get to interact and we get to talk to each other and ask questions, that sort of a thing. That's just for all access partners. We want to bless you guys with that. And uh, I want to announce to everybody the most important important thing you can hear right now today in terms of like, where can I take action? Uh, it is March the 5th, South Carolina's capital, state capital, and um, that is taking place um, uh, March 5th, state capital. We're doing a rally for the bill that's in South Carolina right now mm-hmm. for equal protection. So the, ba- the rally for the bill that's in that would end it, abolish it, criminalize it, it's over in the state of Cal- uh, South Carolina. We also have I just I heard the proper way to say it. Louisiana, Louisiana, Louisiana coming up on March nineteenth. Uh, possibly Colorado. Uh, shortly following that, looking very yeah. Promising. And uh, we got more and more coming this year for bills of equal protection that I know that um, Doug, our brother Doug, would actually affirm equal yeah. protection. He would actually say yes, do that. That's good. So um, that's all happening. March fifth is the first. Come and meet me at the Capitol in South Carolina, please. On March the fifth, we need a ton of people to show up for this thing. Uh, the bill is in. Uh, that is again an amazing moment we're in as a church, where you know fifty some odd years of Roe versus Wade. Here we are. Where now we have all these st- states with bills of equal protection. This is equal justice for all humans from conception. It's happening this year in in so many states. And so we need you to come join us. So if you're mm-hmm. in and around South Carolina, be there. March the 5th. We need your feet on the ground. Yes, we need you to pray, but we need you there. We need you at this rally. Let's get 15, 25,000 people there. Let's get as many people there as possible. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, we're going to lead off, too, with an important discussion. Yeah. I was just going to you mention your finger Action up. for Life. Yes. So oh, I yeah. Didn't know yeah. Where you go you ahead and do that now. Do okay. that. Yeah. Um, I just uh, wanted to. We haven't talked a lot about Action for Life. We should probably talk more about Action for Life. But yeah. Action for Life is the um, legislative arm that we established completely separate from end abortion. Now they're completely different organizations. But um, one th- one thing that's been really helpful with all these bills is is it's end abortion now working 
side by side, hand in hand with Action for Life. Mm-hmm. Dennis Sarfate is the president. We, we need to get him on to yeah, talk some more about that. But, um, I actually sit as chairman of the board, which sounds like a WWF wrestler's name, but he's the <laughs> Chair- chairman of the board. Chairman of the board. But, uh, anyways, uh, so I just think it's funny. It uh, anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there because I think we've had some questions from people that were asking what what that was about so we just wanted to make sure we clarified some of those so. yeah and abortion now is a ministry of apology a church it's the prophetic it's the prophetic witness and work right. um at every level for the cause of justice for the pre-born um action for life uh president uh dennis arfate um he is uh, from japan that's i gotta say it like them right. um he is uh heading that up and if a bill is getting written in a state if a bill is getting written in a state that is is really taking place because of what Action for Life is doing in mm-hmm. terms of the, the language, writing it up, getting it written up, and then getting paying it into the it. state, paying for it. So you need to get to know Action for Life and to make sure you're praying for Dennis and all the guys who are involved with Action for Life. But there's some stuff, some action right now taking place in the state of Texas. That's right. That state with that heartbeat bill, that state where we had a bill in of equal protection and it was killed. So what they opted for was heartbeat bill what they had was equal protection bill criminalization and abolition bill they killed ours who killed ours who killed it in our state no no in texas. Well, well both our state and well, i know the answer well, two different politicians yeah, really but so. in texas there was a bill yeah that would have abolished it and criminalized it and given equal protection to all humans right but it was killed right okay. so, so most recently uh stephanie click is a representative there and then even before that, if you saw Babies Are Still Murdered Here, which is the sequel follow-up to Babies Are Murdered Here, the documentary, there was a lot of time spent in Babies Are Still Murdered Here going over um, the inconsistency and failures of the pro-life industry, in particular opposing uh, the work of people that are putting in this type of legislative works and um, really standing in as an adversary against the cause of equal protection. And Jeff Leach uh, was one of the primary figures of that. So in 2019, um, he actually saw to it that HB 896 uh, was put to bed. It was killed um, under his watch. And then um, his partner in crime, so to speak, Stephanie Click, is in office right now. She killed in 2021 HB 3326, which was the follow-up to the previous bill. And so currently with our... Uh, like-minded brethren there in Texas that are uh, doing the hard work of, you know, uh, going door to door. They're, you know, spreading the cause of the gospel in this area. Um, They're in a dogfight right now because they have a candidate that's running against her. Uh, David Lowe is his name. And so um, he's running against her right now to replace her um, in office as a courageous man that will put forward the cause of justice in this area and will uh, see to it that that the bill goes forward to protect children in the state of Texas. And so, uh, number one, pray for the situation right now, but how it's polling currently, there's going to be a primary vote coming up in March, um, at the beginning of March. But as it stands right now, he's actually performing very, very well uh, in the polls and even pulling ahead of her. And so... Um, the opposition, the other side, Leach and company, are coming back and launching, from what we've been told, um, you know, smear campaigns against the bill, mm-hmm. lying about the bill, um, what it does do and what it doesn't do. And so they're doing everything that they can to prevent Click from being unseated um, in that. And so um, if you want to help out with the cause right now, uh, pray, of course, for that. But then uh, John Speed, who 
course, we know the kindred spirit, a brother that appeared in Babies Are Murdered Here, Babies Are Still Murdered Here. Um, he's boots on the ground right now trying to make sure that David gets elected and that, um, you know, they don't succeed on the other side. And so reach out to him. Uh, you can contact him. Um, you can private message him and see what else you can do to help out there um, in the cause. Um, he, and he left his email, jspeed1971 at gmail.com, jspeed1971 at gmail.com. You can send some correspondence there and he'll tell you what to do, what yeah. next steps to take. Yeah. Good. Okay. Ready to leap into this, guys? Do it. Let's do it. So this conversation is important because you have this, and I think we should put people in proper categories here. And that would be when you talk about the cause of justice for the preborn and actually protecting all humans from conception, you have to ask the question, okay, what are the different perspectives? And you'll oftentimes hear us talking here at, at church. You'll, you'll see me speaking across the country on this issue. I'm very specific when I refer to the problem. Um, you hear me saying often, the pro-life industry. You hear me saying that a lot, right? When I'm not speaking about pro-life Christians, right? Believers who are pro-life, they, that's, that's, a biblical, that's a biblical term for life. That's not unbiblical, right? It's not wrong to say, I am for life. This is for death. That's for life. That's not a bad thing. So I'm very careful to distinguish between the typical Christian in the pew who believes that the big A word is murder, who believes that it needs to end immediately and wants to see it ended immediately. Typically, uh, the, the, the average pro-life Christian just has the operating assumption that big industry over there holds to my perspective. Therefore, life—I mean, they're, they're over there saying that life begins mm -hmm. at conception, so all human life begins at conception. And I guess they're trying to end it, right? So they're sending money to these organizations and everything else. So I'm making a distinction between the pro-life industry, this machine— and the average pro-life person on in the pew, okay? So what we try to go after in terms of critique, um, prophetically speak against, be a witness against, is the pro-life industry. And somebody might say, why? Why would, you, why would you speak against the industry that is taking money and trying to fight these battles? And the answer is because worldview, because there's no neutrality. Yeah. Because the approach of the pro-life industry, and we have, I... I Documentable, it, uh, yeah. documentable. Uh, they're with their own mouths. The leadership of National Right to Life and these other organizations, specifically saying that they are not Christian organizations. They're proud of that. Believe it or not, they're proud of that. That they're not explicitly Christian organizations. That they're not fighting this battle from the perspective of the Word of God at their feet as the ultimate reference point for this fight. They try to say that they're fighting this from a biological perspective, first and foremost, and even then they're being inconsistent because if biologically it's human from conception, then why aren't you acting like it? Why aren't you fighting like that's true? But we've also tried to call down the inconsistency in the pro-life industry, and this is across the board. You'll see it everywhere. Are there stragglers here or there? Yes, but this is the consistent theme from the national organizations, even down to the subsidiaries, the state-level ones, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that is this, that anybody who engages in this practice of abortion, I want you guys to remember this, it's very important, very important. I already said the word. I'm trying not to say the word so we don't get censored and suppressed, but th this is really important. Um, the abortionists aren't the ones running around the street, standing on street corners, looking for babies to kill. Yeah, they have a clientele. Remember yeah. that. 
The abortionists are not driving around in neighborhoods looking around for children to kill. People, being mothers and fathers, are bringing their children to the abortionist Mm -hmm. as sacrifices, Mm -hmm. okay? So keep that in mind. The abortionist is not going around neighborhoods going to find children to kill. It is mothers and fathers who are bringing them to the abortionist. The pro-life industry has had the mindset, the worldview, the perspective that the mother and the father, and they'll emphasize the mother, who actually engage in this issue of abortion, bring their own child, their own offspring, to the abortionist to be slaughtered. They themselves are victims. Now, if I had one thing to say to my brother, Doug, um, and he would be fully on board with us here, so don't hear me wrong on this. He would be fully aboard uh, on the law of God that says that um, he who acquits the guilty and you know um, and uh, condemns, condemns the, the righteous the innocent, is yeah. is the innocent is uh, they both are alike an abomination to the Lord. So Doug would be full in, fully in agreement here. So this is what I mean in terms of a blind spot. This is really really important. Um, the pro life industry. The fatal flaw is they say that the mother is herself a victim Mm -hmm. like the baby, which means when you see the pro-life industry fighting nationally or at the state level or at a city level against the issue of abortion, we say they're never going to end abortion. They won't. They won't. Why? Because they say the woman herself is a victim, okay? Which means there will never be criminalization that actually is honoring to God, glorifying to God, consistent and not partial with their perspective. In other words, they are failed from the start. They will always fail until they have repentance and a change of worldview, a, a, a different perspective on the law of God. Key issue, don't, don't miss me here on this, very important. The fatal flaw of the pro-life industry is that they acquit the guilty. They say that the mother is herself a victim, which means with their perspective, no matter how much money you throw at them, they're never going to criminalize abortion in a way that's honoring, glorifying to God. Why? Because the perpetrators of the crime, some will be seen as victims themselves. Now, of course, the average pro-life industry leader will say, well, we definitely want the abortionist punished. Like if he if he continues to do abortions, we want him, him he's guilty of right. some crime. They won't even, some of them won't even say murder. Uh, Tony Lowinger was fearful of even saying that the abortionist is guilty of murder himself. And he's the vice president of National Right to Life for some time and president of Oklahomans for Life, I believe, is, was, was his position. Same, same with Carol Tobias, who is the president. So right get to this, the fatal flaw. When we put people into categories here before we listen to Doug, fatal flaw. The pro-life industry says that the mother is herself a victim. And so what we would try to impress upon our brother Doug as, he, as, he get, as he's in this discussion so faithfully in so many ways, but I think inconsistently here, is when we talk about the pro-life industry, we have to address the main thing, the fatal flaw. And that is that they actually acquit the guilty. They say the mother's not guilty. She's herself, he's, she's herself a victim. If that's the case, they will never end abortion. They won't do it. It won't, it won't happen. You'll never have it criminalized. Why? Because they're saying that the perpetrator is not guilty. They acquit the guilty, and so that's a fatal flaw. Can we make two quick points yeah. on yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You, you've said it, pointed it out many times, and if the mother is innocent in this area um, and not guilty, then Christ is of no effect to right. her. 
right? right? The gospel is not good news because it's only good news for the guilty. Right. And so there's no healing or forgiveness that can result of this. But even more importantly for the purpose of this discussion is that premise, the fundamental premise that she's a victim makes its way into the legislation itself. Mm-hmm. It's written in there. Oh, yeah. As that. Yeah. Coming after uh, this party, but not this party, yeah. not the woman. No sanctions, no uh, penalizing the woman. And so that was the Texas heartbeat bill. It's, it's not, in there. It's yeah. not just yeah. theoretical. Yeah. That is a worldview presupposition that is actually written into the laws. If you look at virtually any pro-life law at any state, it's actually in the legislation itself. Our most recent one that you know we were just looking at a couple days ago, the newest one put out by our um, you know, who are supposed to be the guardians of life here mm-hmm. in Arizona, I highlighted it. It's, it's right in there. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's not an, my point is it's not an uncommon thing right. for this to happen. It's not just an isolated incident. Can we, can we buttress that point with yeah. what happened in Arizona? Yeah. Our bill yep. was same re- people, Absolutely. same people. Same our bill, our bill was fought against and Doug, this is what we want you to hear. Uh, and I'm sure Doug will listen to this brother. Our bill was fought against by the pro-life establishment here in Arizona. The bill should have been approved by all of them because it was simply an equal protection bill. Human from conception, equal protection for all humans. The pro-life industry says they believe that. However, the problem is, is that that means that there would be actual, actual criminal punishments, penalties for the issue of abortion in the state of Arizona. So what did they do? They killed ours. They fought against it. And they established their own. And guess what they did? Guess what they did? Kathy Herod made sure that there was a line put in their bill that said repeal of, of 13-3604. It was the state statute in Arizona that <laughs> all was the way around back to since Roe, the time of Roe. Since the time of yeah. Roe that criminalized abortion for the abortionist in 13-3603, but also for the mother in 04. Get this. They put a single line in their bill after they refu- after they rejected ours that said repeal of 13-3604. That was the bill, standing bill since Roe v. Wade in Arizona that criminalized abortion for the mother because she was guilty. Kathy Herod and the pro-life establishment in this state don't believe that the mother or father are guilty of anything. Mm -hmm. And so they literally decriminalized abortion in the state of Arizona. And like like Zach said, it's not an anomaly. Mm -hmm. It's in Texas. It's in all the other states. So again, categorizing here, because we can't put Doug in that category. Mm-hmm. He would hate that, refute that, yeah. say that goes yeah. against God's law. But that's the pro-life establishment, the ones who are fighting all the battles, right? Who say we need to overturn Roe. And then that gets to this next point, where also they fail and where God hates what they're doing. I will say it. He hates it. Mm-hmm. Is they actually put forward bills that show unequal weights and measures. Mm-hmm. They should they yeah. put bills in that are partial. Now, this is very, very important. Very. Yeah. I read at the beginning of the show this key issue, and Doug, again, would agree with this. Proverbs twenty twenty three: unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord. So partiality, those unequal weights, are an abomination to God. Same thing that we see in Scripture regarding certain sexual behaviors. And I don't want this to get shadow banned, and I want everyone to hear it, so I'll just, you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. At that. The word is abomination. So we love to pick on certain sexual ethics to say that's an abomination. God's very clear about that. But so is this, unequal weights and measures. And we have to ask the question, if the pro-life industry puts forward bills that are actually unequal weights and measures and they show partiality, is that an abomination to God? Is it an abomination to God to put a bill in that says, treat these humans this way 
and treat these ones this way in terms of the death penalty, because that's what we're talking about with abortion, is the death penalty. Like yeah. for an example, an example would be good. In our state, when they killed our Bill of Equal Protection, the pro-life establishment put in the bill that decriminalized abortion. So they decriminalized abortion in the state of Arizona. Congratulations, pro-life industry. What'd you do with all that money? The next thing they did <laughs> is they actually said, um, you can kill a child in Arizona, but not for the express reason that it has a genetic abnormality. Okay, so what's that mean? Is that equal weights and measures? Or is it unequal? Because what you're saying in Arizona is kill the healthy kids. You can do that. And this is written by the pro-life industry, by the way. Congratulations. What'd you do with all that money? The next thing is they said, well, you can't kill them for the express purpose or reason that they had a genetic abnormality. So just ask the question, okay, how do I get around that bill? Easy. Mom and dad comes in, says, uh, doctor, uh, baby has Down syndrome. Doctor goes, well, you can't kill it because it has Down syndrome. And they go, nah, we just hate it. That's not why. We love Down syndrome. We just hate this kid. Yeah. Great. And they kill the kid. It's told, it's a, it, it didn't matter anyways. You get around a piece of cake. It's total waste of money, total waste of funds. And it's unrighteous. Yeah, it is unjust, unjust and evil. But it's partial. Same thing with a heartbeat bill. Is a heartbeat bill equal weights and measures for all humans? And the answer is no. no. Because what you're saying is what makes you um, human is a heartbeat. Human is a heartbeat. You have to earn that. It's a you working heart. Personhood. Yeah. Tell that to the people in the cardiovascular uh, center in the hospital, right? Working well, hearts. Just to be clear, that's, that's not the only thing. Yeah. I don't want people saying, well, see, they support heartbeat bills. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're, we're talking about I know, 15 I just, week bans, 20 yeah. week bans, pain capable acts, all of these things. I don't know. want to interrupt you, but. No, uh, yeah, okay. No, let me know if, I, if I'm not, I'm not clear. Yeah, I just want to make sure that someone's not going to take that and say that. Yeah. So when what we're, we're, we're saying is, is that the issue with the pro-life establishment and industry is they put forward bills that God says are an abomination. Yeah. Violate his standards of justice. Exactly. And right. so we want to grab Doug and his theonomy. Um, and grab him by his theonomy and uh, show it to him. Uh, this is what the law of word of God says. You, this is an abomination to God. You, how can you as a Christian say, I will support something that it is that God calls an abomination, that he calls an abomination for pragmatism? Yeah. What we're arguing for is not pragmatism, but prophetic ministry, not pragmatism, but prophetic principle. That's, principle. That's yeah. what we're working for. So um, they acquit the guilty and they uphold unequal weights and measures. And then the question is also, is what's written by them a righteous decree or is it an iniquitous decree? Is it sinful at its core? And the answer is, when you look at all these bills, heartbeat bills, pain capable, any of those bills, it's iniquitous because what does it do? It affirms the right to kill these humans, but only under these conditions. It's iniquitous. In Isaiah chapter 10, God says, Woe to those who write these iniquitous decrees, who make the fatherless pray. These bills literally fall into that category of an iniquitous decree. It's sinful to its core. It's unrighteous. It's unequal weights and measures. It acquits the guilty. And it makes the uh, fatherless children pray. And that's mm. what these children killed yeah. in abortion are. Fatherless children. They really are abandoned by their dads. And so that's the industry. I'm, I'm doing this as fast as I can, but I want to make sure this is a helpful episode for everybody. And, and Doug even gets a chance to hear from us. Like, what are you guys saying? The next category I want to address is someone like uh, our brother Doug. And he's not in that category of, of, um, of saying, 
yeah, I want to adopt their principles and their standards, right? Like Doug would affirm everything I just said mm-hmm. in terms of, yeah, that's sinful, that's wrong, can't do that. The problem is, is I believe Doug has a blind spot in this area where he he would call himself a smash mouth incrementalist. Yeah. Here's the problem. And I would say this again with love and 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 respect and honor to my brother. Smash mouth incrementalism is not different than regular old run-of-the-mill incrementalism in the pro-life industry. It's been it's been said a distinction without a difference. Yeah, it's really. the same. Yeah. It it really is the same because it's essentially flood the flood it. Like yeah. let's do everything. Yeah. Let's Doug, overwhelm Doug yeah. has has said like smash mouth incrementalism is like there's a heartbeat bill that would save some lives. Mm-hmm. So I'll go ahead and affirm the heartbeat bill, but I'm gonna do it with a statement that says, I'm not done. I'm gonna keep going just so you know. I don't really accept this but we're going to keep going later. Well, listen to Klusendor for anybody else who's who's a incrementalist with the establishment. And Doug, they say exactly the same thing. Mm. Like they don't say heartbeat bill. We're done. Yay. Hooray. It's over. They say, we're not finished. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep speaking and saying, we don't fully accept this. So smash mouth incrementalism. Um, I, I just, I, a distinction without a difference. It doesn't, it's not different than what something like someone like Klusendor or any others would say. And have said for many, many years. But watch this. Push, 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 push back to the worldview issue. And you can say, I'm not satisfied with the 10-week ban. I'm not satisfied with the heartbeat ban. Da-da-da-da-da. You're going to finally land on this. Here's where you're going to land. The pro-life industry says, we're not explicitly Christian. We're not using the Bible as our guide. We're not using that law word of God. And we believe that mothers are victims themselves. So watch. Push and push and push and push and push. 10 week, nine week, eight week, heartbeat. Guess where you're going to get? You're going to finally land here and you're going to go, oh, lo and behold, they never wanted it to be criminal anyways. Not for the mom, not for the dad. And by the way, can I just say something real fast? We don't talk about this enough. It hit me this morning. I was rolling the trash out to the street and it just, light bulb came on and I went, oh my goodness, we need to talk about this more to make sure people hear us. When we say don't acquit the guilty and the mom is also guilty, Mm-hmm. of murder, right? Because that's what God's law would mm-hmm. say. Um, I hope that everyone understands from our perspective as a church, when you hear us saying it has to be equal justice, there has to be penalties, that's the only way God is glorified and honored, that's the only way there's real justice. I hope everyone understands that actually we think the first and foremost culprit, in most cases, because some dads don't even know what's happening, the first and foremost culprit and guilty party in this issue at the start is the dad. Mm-hmm is the dad. Yeah. Right? It's a fatherless child. It's a fatherless child. So, you know, I know that there are instances where like the mother gets pregnant and she goes and does this off on her own. He never knows. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the ones most common where they both know and they make that decision together and we're watching the dad drive the mom exactly up to the right. door, drive off blasting music and eating tacos and returning in an hour and a half to come pick up his wobbling wife or girlfriend. Yeah. He is the first culprit and he's the one that I think bears the greater responsibility to begin with. Yeah. And they're both guilty. Yeah. But just understand, this isn't a matter of saying, let's go after the women. No, the issue is this. Let's establish justice. Yeah. That's the issue. Establish justice. Well, and I was going to say, and I know, I know we've talked about this, but I, we have some new listeners so i was gonna make a couple quick points but um just like any other murder Mm -hmm. like it needs to go to trial 
right? Right. So if it was done properly, like you're saying, like it, it, if it's an instance where the, the husband took the wife, dropped her off, whatever, like, yeah, you should also be guilty of murder. Um, it's just crazy because the laws usually only mention the mother. They don't usually yeah. mention the father. But that's how any murder case should be handled appropriately is in the court of law with two to three independent lines of witness. Now, there may be possibly instances where the mother's not guilty and they can prove that in the court of law. Because we know that there's times. If it's a case of coercion or something. It's yeah. the exception, not the rule. It's right? the exception, so, not the rule. So we can't we can't formulate a put a law into practice based on the exception. Um and with that, because someone asks, like, would we proactively go back into time? And no, and yeah, no, we we yeah. would. That, that's silly. We would not go back and try to prosecute women who've had abortions prior to it being illegal. Yeah, no retroactive anything. Yeah, and yeah. we we want the gospel to connect to every woman who's ever had this in her experience, who's ever Amen. guilty of it. We want all that, not retroactive. We're talking about establishing justice now and moving forward. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's yeah. what we're trying to say. Maybe a way to sum it up is just to say. If everyone is subject to the justice system for homicide of a born person, but it's not equal, then we aren't really treating preborn children as a person. Right. It, it, it has to be equal weights and measures. It has to be equal protection under the law. Otherwise, our adversaries were, were smart to this back during the time of Roe, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before, but that was essentially, um, you know, they gave us the way to beat them. In terms of when Roe came down the pipe, because the law in Texas, Roe versus Wade, was a Texas case at that time. And the statutes that were on the books specifically stated um, the way that, you know, we were arguing for this. We were saying, no, the preborn are they're, they're persons. They're, they're entitled to the protections of the 14th Amendment, just like everybody else. That was how we were arguing, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But the problem was the statutes on the books in Texas said that the penalty for killing a preborn child was less than the homicide of a born person. Mm. And then secondly, um, there was the other aspect of, let me read it here because it's really important. So there was the issue of the penalty being less severe. And then there was the drawn a blank. Oh yeah, that's what it was. Secondly, depending on whether the crime was homicide of a born person or abortion of a fetus, the available penalties were different. The available penalties at the time for voluntarily killing any person or a born person ranged from two years to capital punishment, whereas the available penalties for intentionally destroying a fetus ranged from two to five years. So that's the first one, far less than the available range for the murder of a born person. And then the other one was Texas had determined that the statutes against abortion did not apply to conduct committed by the mother. So the argument was, if you're saying that the baby in the womb is a person, how can the mom not be a principal or an accomplice to the crime? Mm -hmm. In other words, your actions speak louder than words. I don't believe you. Very good. So again, making sure we understand proper categories as we enter into the discussion and and sort of engage a bit with some of Doug's comments. One, pro-life industry, not Christian, acquit the guilty, um, unequal weights and measures, accepting of all of that, right? That problem there, you know, not standing in the word of God. Doug's not in that category. He's not in that category. But he has, he has, he has described his position as smash mouth incrementalism. Right. Our challenge to Doug is, Doug, that's what they say all the time. Like, we're like six weeks is not enough. We're going to accept it for now, but we're going to keep working, keep working, keep working. Um, and so I don't really see where his position is distinct, except 
that Doug does not accept the uh, neutral, the pretended neutrality of the pro-life industry. He wouldn't accept that at all. Doug's a presuppositionalist. He doesn't believe in that in terms of ultimate worldview commitments, that there is such a thing as neutrality. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If you, if you want to see it in action, go watch Collision, film made by our friend Darren Doan. It is epic. I actually watched it uh, a couple days ago just because uh, I love just it so much. Just for the heck of it. Because it's such a great movie. Um, yeah, it's a good one. There's another perspective uh, and that is a perspective I think that we're holding to. We want to we want to be committed to, and this is where we're coming from, Doug. So you know, um, word of God is central. Word of God is the foundation. Law, word of God is the standard, and we need to be not pragmatic but prophetic, and we need to be principled. We need to be consistent. We need to establish justice. We need to, whenever we're pursuing anything in terms of light and transformation in the culture around us. We have some standards we need to hold to in terms of what would God think about this? Is this an iniquitous decree? Is it? Like on the last day, would God look at this, would God look at this thing that we try to put forward? Would he say, from his perspective and his perfect character and his standard of justice, this is unrighteous, this is iniquitous, this is sinful, this is unjust? That's the question. Another one to follow up. Is this particular piece of legislation, is it partial? Is it unequal weights and measures? Is there a partial aspect to this bill? If the answer is yes, this is certainly a partial bill, then God hates it. It's an abomination, and he doesn't approve of it. And so when we think about fighting prophetically and not pragmatically against the culture, we ask that question, is this particular piece of legislation does it show partiality? Because God, he calls that an abomination. Can I, as his child, actually work to put something forth that he says is an abomination? I just don't think there's a way around that. I just don't. I don't think there's a way around that as Christians. Is it an abomination? Yes. Um, what did, uh, what did, uh, when we had this discussion with the guys at a fight, laugh feast, and we had a very, very loving conversation, engaging his brothers in this issue. It was interesting to hear how our brothers, you know, it was, it was Toby and, uh, Gabe that, and of course, Chuck believes yeah. the same thing, but they were, when they were talking about these bills that are not righteous, not just, uh, they were calling them idolatrous. Yeah. And these, these are idolatrous bills, and we're going to have it in. Then we're going to come, and we're going to challenge you afterwards for this idolatrous bill. That's the question. Can the people of God support and approve of, sign off on, something that is an idolatrous, sinful, wicked, abominable bill? Another question to ask, can I ever um, pursue a course of ending this and establishing justice that acquits the guilty? Like, that's our perspective in terms of like, if we're going to be light and salt to the world, let's go all the way, right? Let's not just be a little salty and a very dim light. Let's let it shine before everybody. Let's be prophetic and let's actually do something that's in accordance with the law word of God. So what we're saying is that you have to be prophetic and use the word of God as you move forward. Now, we're not against, this is key, Doug, if you hear this, this is key. We're not against a righteous increment. Like everyone puts it like incrementalism versus um, uh, immediatism or or abolition, I think is different than that. Actually, and the yeah. issue is is question. This is this question in the category you're working in, is what you're doing just? Yeah, right. It's in that category. <laughs> exactly right. Is it just? Yeah. Is it righteous? Yes or no? In whatever category you're working in, 
it's just the question you ask, does it show partiality? Does it acquit the guilty? Is it just? So like, for example, yeah, this is, is key. Is the increment regulating the who, what, where, when, and why right. of how an abortion is done? Right. Or is the increment abolishing abortion completely in a state and then moving on to another state and then until we continue to do it? Right, That's, right. Yeah. Key issue, because yeah, the, 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 the argument made, well, like you believe in increments too, because you're trying to get it done in the state of Arizona. It's like, yeah, righteously, justly, yeah. right? If you we're know. thinking jurisdictionally, yeah. what's my immediate responsibility yeah. where big, I live? It's a big world. Yeah. <laughs> so I can, you know, right. I can sometimes work uh, town by town. Uh, but, but when you work town by town, city by city, state by state, when you do that, the question is, is as you're doing it, is it pragmatic or prophetic? Mm-hmm. Is it faithful? Is it just? Or is it unjust? I'll give you one example. Very important. Check this out. See this? Praise God for this. We're going to talk in a moment now about Doug... Um, and his comments on the Supreme Court case that's going on right now yeah, from the Mississippi, Mississippi case. Yeah. So I wanted to just offer this as sort of a, um, maybe a correction, maybe even like, oh, I didn't know that, um, to others and, and to our brother Doug on this issue. Um, we're, we would consider ourselves immediatists, ab- abolitionists. You know, I don't, I don't want to associate with some of the nutters out there who would also adopt the, the title of abolitionist in terms of where I'm at and what I want to happen, what we want to happen. Right. However, we were a part of filing this in this case that we're discussing. So yeah. Doug's talking about a case that we actually filed an amicus brief in. So our uh, constitutional attorney, Bradley Pierce Esquire, um, he actually submitted this. We were a part of actually funding this and getting this put into the Supreme Court case. So in the case that Doug is talking about right now, we're a part of filing this through Bradley Pierce, our constitutional attorney. It has a bunch of state legislators who were signed off on it and a bunch of organizations, including Action for Life um, and, and Free the now. States, Rescue Those, Operation Save America and Abortion Now, all those um, abolish abortion, Texas. Abolish abortion, Texas. Now, I want to just show you the difference in terms of like a righteous increment, right? Right? Is when we filed this friend of the court brief um, in this very case. So the judges are supposed to read it. Um, yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good if they did. <laughs> um, I want you to see the difference between how they're working in terms of the pro life industry and filing against this. Um, and how we worked. Now, we believe that Roe versus Wade is evil. It is unjust. It is fallacious to its core. What's in the womb is potential human life. No, we know as a fact of biology and from the biblical worldview, what's in the womb is not potential human life. It's human life from conception. That just can't be disputed. Um, But in this case, when we filed this brief, at the very beginning, you'll see the difference here. Watch this. Not yeah. Um, not to mention an egregious violation of their authority that they don't have. Right, the that, Supreme Court does they, not have exactly authority to do what they what they're doing according to our Constitution, which they're supposed to be subject to, right. not Lord of. Right, right. R- they R- can't reinterpret according to the Tenth Amendment. They don't have the right to impose infanticide upon the states. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Roe versus Wade is a court opinion. It is not law. Joe Biden knows that. His press secretary knows that. She said it multiple times. Um, and it's very, very important to keep that in mind. Roe versus Wade, they know is not a law. Law. He's talking now and has been talking about making Roe versus Wade law of the land. In other words, codifying it as the law because it's not the law. Roe versus Wade is a court opinion 
Congress creates law according to our Constitution. So lex rex, the law is king, not any other way around. Now, in our uh, friend of the court brief that's in this case right now that Doug's discussing, it actually has at the table of authorities, the first authorities. Scripture. Do you see it? I'm going to try to make sure the light can't get to it. The Holy Bible. The Holy Bible. Exodus 20, uh, 1 through 6, Jeremiah 6, 1 through, and, and on and on it goes. And then there's some quotations from the constitutional provisions, the cases, all that stuff, the statutes, all of it. But do you know what this actually says? Do you know what this says? No compromise. It calls Roe versus Wade's decision evil. Mm. calls the court to repent. It calls the court to honor and obey Jesus Christ and the law of God. That's what this says. So do we believe that Roe versus Wade should be overturned? Yeah. Because in the category of the duty of that court before the king, Jesus, the court needs to reverse that wicked decision. So when we talk about incrementalism versus immediatism, no, we agree. In the category of the Supreme Court's responsibility, they must overturn yeah. that wicked decree. That's their jurisdiction. That's important. And we worked on it. And we're abolitionists. But that's not the same thing as someone saying, well, you believe in increments. No, I believe in righteous categories, <laughs> right? Yeah. I believe in a category over here, the responsibility of the Supreme Court and their responsibility before King Jesus. Right. And so I'll work in that category and say, repent, obey Jesus. But when there is the, this is the key. Everyone get me now. This will be the key. When there is the category in terms of legislation to protect life and uphold justice for those babies, in that category, According to God's word, I must not have unequal weights and measures, show partiality. I must not acquit the guilty, and I must preserve human life, love my neighbor. Which means, if I have legislation in a state before me that does any of those sinful things, if it's actually an iniquitous decree, God hates it. Yeah. Well, on the last day, this is the thing I ask myself, on the last day, will God have approved of this bill? Mm-hmm. Or does he hate it? Mm, that's a good question. So when we have anything we're working on in the state, that's kind of like where we're, we're like lens. We're going. Does God hate this bill? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this is the metric. Yeah. yeah. Does God hate this yeah. bill? Uh, and if if it's a bill that you say biblically, God's law word, God's standard, yeah, he hates that bill. Then you can't do it. You can't do it, and you can't you can't put a title over it that that sort of muddies that issue. Um, like, well, I'll accept it but not forever. Yeah. You know, and a good thing that a friend of mine um, pointed out is if you really want to see the beginning of this discussion in terms of how do you prophetically work against a government when God has given his law word, he's given his word, he's given his decree, he says, do this, he gives you your marching orders, right? Um, how do you manage that? And I would say, start in Exodus chapter five with Moses versus Pharaoh. Pharaoh was told by Moses, uh, God says, let my people go. And what's Pharaoh do? Pharaoh's like, Psh. what God? Who? I'll bet that's what he said. Who? Yeah. Like, Psh. like he did, I think it was specifically, Psh. it was like very BC era, like, Psh. yeah. Um, so Pharaoh's like, well, like, who? Who's your God, right? Yeah. So Pharaoh, watch. But then as God starts to press upon Egypt, his authority and power and glory, Pharaoh starts getting freaked out now because he realizes, oh, I'm dealing with Yahweh, the true God. So what does Pharaoh try to do? He tries to compromise 
as the government yeah. with Moses and God's word. He tries to compromise. He's like, what if I just let you guys go out? Like you, you, you can go out, you can worship in the land. Like you can, you'll still be here in Egypt and you can do whatever you want religiously. Like you can do your thing, but you have to stay here. What's Moses say? Well, at least we get to be religious. At least we get to do our worship. Right. No. Total liberation they, is what God commands. Right. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. Do you get the point? Like, if you want to look at this happening in Scripture, start in Exodus. And I would say start in Exodus chapter one. Chapter one. With I was the just Hebrew say that. midwives Resistant. who were ordered to commit right. infanticide, and right. they said no. Mm-hmm. And so, if if the federal government is commanding us to kill our children. If the federal government and the court is commanding us to show partiality and to acquit the guilty and to do all these things that God says is an abomination to him, uh, we have a duty not to obey a, an entity that's being disobedient yeah. to God. <laughs> so good question to ask. Is the conflict between Moses, God's spoke person, and Pharaoh, the government, the government of the day, that conflict um was Moses' position an immediatist position? Was it a full-on prophetic position, or was it a compromised position? God had a word for Pharaoh. Obey this. Let my people go. Pharaoh tried to compromise and say, well, how about this? How about that? How about I give you a little bit of this or that? And Moses ultimately was like, no, it's it's all or nothing. Yeah, it was about obedience. Right. Really. And, and I want to get you to consider this. And by the way, um, buy lots of book books from by lots, buy of, lots book. of book buy a lot of book <laughs> y'all buy a lot of book now here <laughs> buy everyone buy a lot of book what i'm saying is it got good book <laughs> buy a lot of it <laughs> canon press puts out a lot of book canon That's press book <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right sorry uh, uh it's been a tough month that's probably the first time i've laughed a lot um so uh this right here this is a defense of liberty against tyrants. Canon Press, get it in your library. A defense of liberty against tyrants. This book, Huguenots, this book, uh, quoted by our early um, founding fathers, uh, referenced this very book. Very good. Uh, next book here, uh, very good. Slaying Leviathan, Li- Limited Slaying Government Sunshine. and Resistance in the Christian Tradition. Very good. And this book right here, Lex Rex by... Rutherford. This is a little bigger. Take you some time, but it's worth your life. My point is this, is if you read books from Canon Press like this, you'll be an abolitionist. If you accept Brother Doug's position on the law word of God, I think to be consistent and to adopt what he tells you, because he told me a lot, then you'll be an immediatist, an abolitionist. You'll work on prophetic mission more than pragmatism. What I'm trying to say is this, Canon Press will sell you books that will um, make you agree with us. <laughs> get it? I'm trying to grab you in your theonomy, Doug. Um, so get these books and then, um, and then understand, you know, well, if I adopt what I'm learning from Canon Press, I can't accept the unrighteous increments. I can't accept pragmatism over prophetic ministry. I must be consistent, okay? Yeah, and, and an acceptance of, you know, the idea of, the courts being supreme in a way because well that's if, that's if, key if yeah. it comes down yeah. to well we can't do that well why not well because the court said well god says mm-hmm. well but the court said mm-hmm. now we have two competing voices 
So who's going to win? Who Very and good. who, more importantly, are we going to be obedient to, yeah. uh, regardless of the consequences, which is something that all of us need to consider. Yes. So I want to keep talking, but I actually have to use the bathroom. <laughs> okay. So the we've, we've, we've been going an hour. That makes yeah. three of us. <laughs> hey, can we? Hey, Gabe, can we take like a like a three minute break here? Because I, I, we might as well just keep going. I don't want to. I don't want to push us off to next week, right? Yeah. yeah. Just, no. So let's keep going. Uh, Gabe, can you put a, a slide over? Can you put us on pause or something so we can take like a like say a three minute break? Come right back and kick this off. Yeah, we can do that. All right, all right, everyone, stay with us. Don't go anywhere. Three minute break because we're going to go ahead and continue this episode so that it's a one stop shop um, um, help and resource for you on this subject. And uh, we'll be right back. All right, everyone, welcome back. Thank you for uh, letting us take a break there. We want to make sure we put this all together for you in one show to be the most helpful. So we finished the last segment and we talked about uh, righteous. Increments, I guess you can call it, yep. uh, proper categories of justice. What we're saying is, and this is key, and we'll go right into Doug after this, is the issue comes down to when you're talking about a piece of legislation, is it legislation that God hates? Is it legislation that contradicts and violates his standards? Um, is it something that acquits the guilty? Is it something that shows partiality? What we're saying is you can never accept those, never work for those, because those would be things that offend God. <laughs> Is it iniquitous decree? And we pointed out the fact that we are technically abolitionists. We're working for equal protection. And we actually filed a amicus brief uh, with this particular case that Doug's going to talk about. It's in this case. We have it in there. And it calls the court to repent, to turn to Christ, to obey God's law. And it refutes their premises. Um, from Roe versus Wade. So it goes through the, the law, word of God, the court cases, all that, and it calls the court to repent and honor Christ. That's prophetic. And guess what? Here's the issue. I'm going to put it a pin in it at the top of this right now. Even if Roe versus Wade is overturned and Doug acknowledges this, you're still going to have to abolish and criminalize abortion in the states. And guess what? Yeah. Not just because the pro-choice laws that are in place but because the pro-life legislation that's on the books yep. that is actually allowed for the murder of children at this stage, right? But not this one. And so you're still going to have to contend with the issue of equal protection in every single state. So overturn Roe, yes, because that is their responsibility before God. That's their responsibility. Obey Jesus. That's a wicked, evil decision. So overturn it. Please do. Yes, but you're still going to have to deal with the states. And the question is, how will you do it? Right. Yeah. How will you do it? I think the the point from our perspective too is we don't need to wait. I think a lot of people are just under the impression that that we need to wait in order to right. act and the time is now, the hour is urgent right. because like you said, either way, this is going to be a state battle. Right. And so yeah, and Doug and Doug we can't fully, wait because lives are at that. stake. Yeah. That's that's what it comes down and to. And Doug gets it. That's one thing we'll we'll play here. He understands that which I'm thankful for. So. Yeah, let's do it. 24. So let's, uh, what are we going to talk about today? I'd like to talk about the case coming out of Mississippi that's coming up before uh, the Supreme Court, uh, the, the Dobbs case. Now, this is, an inter this is a really interesting situation. The Dobbs case, uh, the, the way the Dobbs case is set up, it could conceivably be the uh, case that the Supreme Court uses to overturn or cripple Roe. So 
Over 60 million unborn children have been summarily dispatched since Roe was decided. And this is the decision that could really interfere with Roe or strike Roe down altogether. Now, as I'm uh, recording this, I'm recording this episode at the end of January 2022. And as I'm recording this, the decision on the Dobbs case has not yet come down. But according to their normal schedule, uh, the Supreme Court uh, justices have already voted on it. So the, the, uh, the voting has taken place, and the Supreme Court justices know which way it's going. But there are still some variables. We don't know. And the security is generally um, pretty tight on these things, not, not letting it get out uh, which way it's going to go. If we go back a few years and look at the Obergefell decision, Anthony Kennedy was initially voted, uh, initially voted in favor of traditional marriage, biblical marriage. And then because of the enormous pressure on the judges, uh, flipped later on. So they, they, they normally vote and then they have time to write their decisions, the majority decision, the minority decision, and so on. There was enormous pressure, and Kennedy flipped and went over to the side that, that resulted in the Obergefell legalization of same-sex mirage on all 50 states. So in this situation, let's say that the Dobbs case, it's already been voted on, and let's say the vote is such that the Mississippi law is going to be upheld. If the Mississippi law is upheld, then Roe will be struck down. That will not protect unborn children uh, throughout all the United States because states would still have the legal right to keep their pro-abortion laws on the books, which New York would and Connecticut would and Massachusetts would and California would. So there would still be states where abortion was accessible. But so let's address that, because that's that's actually a key issue in terms of how you fight against Roe and this this issue. So I, I bring it back to what we played a number of times on this show. I'm not going to play it today. Uh, there was a town hall meeting where Joe Biden, before he became mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, resident, um, before that happened and the campaign was going on, he was asked in a town hall by a young woman, uh, what are you going to do if like... Um, uh, you know, all this stuff happens and then Roe is threatened sort all of the thing. attacks on reproductive health. Yeah. And he's he simply said this is before he was elected as as um, resident in chief. Um, he said, I would work to make Roe the law of the land. Right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, as stuff started to happen during his first year of residency, they asked again during a White House press conference, like, well, what's what's his 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 opinion now? And she said, just like you said in the campaign, um, he wants to make Roe the law of the land. He wants to give the force of legislation because our country says, our constitutional documents say that it's Congress that creates law, not the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. right? Supreme Court has been resisted in the past. They've had evil decisions before. The state simply said, go pound sand. No, kind of not like doing slavery. that. Kind of like slavery. They're like, no, I don't care what you say. No, it's unjust and wrong. 
And that's how our, our republic's supposed to work, is the states are supposed to have that kind of a right to say, well, that's an evil decision. It's not consistent with the Constitution that I signed up for. And so no go pound sand. So the issue is, and Doug is very, very, very good on explaining how this is supposed to work and how the form of government we have today, how it was set up, and it's a very Christian form of government. All that stuff. Doug is excellent at explaining this. But the Supreme Court case, Roe versus Wade, um, is not law. Now, amazingly, is you don't need to believe me. Go listen to Joe Biden. Go listen to the White House press secretary. Go listen to them. If you don't believe me, go listen to the resident in chief. So they want to give Roe the force of law on the land because it's not. However, 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 it's still a court opinion and it getting struck down. Doug acknowledges. Then it goes to the states themselves. Here's the key issue, Doug. This is the key issue. When Roe is struck down, um, we hope to God that it is, you're still going to have to work prophetically for equal protection for all humans in the States. You acknowledge that, brother, of course, but I want to just suggest something. It isn't simply those states like Massachusetts, New York, Connecticut, all that stuff where you'd really have to contend. It'd also be in states like mine, Arizona, Mm -hmm. with pro-life legislation on the books that gives abortion the force of law in my state and in so many other states. It's the pro-life legislation that actually grants the right of abortion to mothers and fathers in that state. Key thing. Why? Because the bills put forth by the pro-life industry are bills that acquit the guilty and show partiality. They are bills, like the one that just passed in Arizona from Kathy Herod, that say decriminalize abortion for the mother, and by the way, you can kill the child just so long it's not for the reason of genetic abnormality. Right. Or bills in some states, even heartbeat bills, that simply say you can kill the child, but not if you can detect a heartbeat. And we're trusting, of course, the assassins to find the heartbeat, which is interesting. Uh, uh, you you want to get paid? Uh, you won't get paid if you find a heartbeat. Okay, I guess I'm not going to find a heartbeat, right? I mean, it's just, it's simple. I mean, it's the way that human minds and sinfulness work. Mm. Uh, but here's the issue. Rose overturned. Doug. We still have to be prophetic. We still have to establish justice in the states. Roe is not going to solve the problem. You still are going to have to be in a prophetic mission for something that is immediate and true justice, equal protection. Mm-hmm. So, it would be legal if Roe is struck down. It would be legal and con- quote unquote constitutional for states to outlaw abortions which uh, something like 25 to 30 states would almost immediately do. Some states have a, some, uh, the law. I would disagree with you on that, um, brother, in terms of immediately do. Um, this is the upsetting thing. Maybe, like I said, it's a blind spot, and that the blind spot is the area of what the pro-life industry indoctrinates people in. Do they actually teach people in their states um, that we're working for equal protection for all humans so that it's the same standard of justice for all humans? Um, No, the pro-life industry is literally instructing people on those states. Women are victims. They're not guilty of this. Women are themselves victims. We don't want the women ever punished for killing their own children in the womb. Um, and of course, yes, it's inconsistent. So in, inconsistent. Let's all acknowledge it, that the pro-life industry will tell people while they're raising funds, all life is sacred. 
human life begins at conception. So they say they believe that. We, we just don't legislate that way. We're not going to legislate yeah. that way. So key thing, I don't think it's looking that good. And why? Because we have to work against the indoctrination that's even been done within the Christian church. Christians have been indoctrinated by the pro-life industry. One, one point on that, yeah. when you go to the abortion mill, you know, it's happened before. A, a lot of people have repeated this point. And, you know, the woman's so far along that you're trying to talk to, and she says, no, it's okay. Like, it can't feel pain yet. Well, where did they learn that? The, pro-life the law is a yeah. teacher. The law. Yeah. If the law that we are putting forward, the, the injustice that we're framing by statute is discipling these women to believe that it's okay as long as it has, we haven't crossed this threshold yet. Are we being faithful to the Great Commission to disciple the nations and teach them, and to teach obey. them obedience to Christ? So it's, it's a Great Commission <laughs> issue. Yeah. I would like to ask him, because I think he might be talking about trigger laws right here. I think so. Um, yeah. Most of the states that we have been involved in do not have trigger laws. One or I can think of. Louisiana has one. Right, right. And it's a solid one. Yeah. Uh, but most of the states do not, and you know, if they do, they're they're bootleg. So what a trigger law is essentially, and Louisiana does have this. So if if the, essentially the law says that if Roe uh, was overturned, then it would eliminate, wipe out all the abortion laws they have on the book, sort of a thing, and make it yeah. illegal. They're they're the exception. They're the only ones that I know. Of. Yeah. So if that might be what he's talking about, I don't know. But twenty five to thirty states having that, I don't think. Is yeah. that all very accurate? Yeah, and I think the the main principal thing I'm after is that issue of how would these states actually fight right. um, when Roe's overturned? Are they going to fight for equal protection for every human from conception? Because I'll tell you, um, I'll say this as humbly as I possibly can, uh, I don't see a lot of courage in the legislators. Yeah. Uh, oh. and we've been working in yeah. states for, for years now. And I'll tell you that you have legislators who who campaign based upon the pro-life platform. They make money based upon the pro-life platform. They're voted in based upon their pro-life commitments. And when you talk to them and you ask them about things like equal protection, ending abortion, they've been indoctrinated by the pro-life industry. They've been taught by them. And so they're not looking for equal protection, ending it, criminalizing it, all the rest. Um, they're muddy themselves on the issue. And so in terms of the states just going, great, Rose done, let's end abortion. Eh, there's a problem. And that's the fatal flaw of the pro-life movement. And that's that they acquit the guilty. Yeah. And they're not looking for ultimate um, justice in this area. For well, one thing we've learned is that most politicians operate by fear, <laughs> not yeah. courage. It's the, the few that are courageous that are standing up and saying, no, we're going to do this because it's right. And right. it's the others that are, that are operating by fear. So, yeah passed that if the Supreme Court ever determines that that abortion can be restricted, then they have a law that will uh, just automatically uh, go take effect. Uh, so you have 25 to 30 states that would become states where abortion would be restricted. Now, if the vote of the Supremes, if uh, so it's a nine-member court, if the court goes five to four, upholding the Mississippi case, then uh, then the one most likely to write the majority decision would be Clarence Thomas. And if Clarence Thomas wrote the majority decision of a decision that strikes down Roe, the chances are, I, I would argue, the chances are excellent to outstanding that, he, that Thomas would write a majority decision that would burn the house down. 
and you know like a like a daisy cutter bomb it's conceivable that john roberts who has become who's become what i don't even know what that is but i love it though i love it doug is is so good i love it when you read doug you have to go like look at the dictionary real fast right, just right. to like yeah. learn what a word is like a bomb that just just like yeah. eliminates everything yeah, ground a level. daisy cutter yeah, yeah, yeah. daisy cutter i like, like it he said something that's key he said talking about those laws he said um restricted mm-hmm. not eliminated mm-hmm. it would make abortion restricted but not eliminated so that's that's a key because that's right. what we're not fighting for <laughs> yeah yeah the key thing for us is just it's it it's very it's summarized in equal protection that's it that's that's what we're fighting for in every single state equal protection for all humans um from conception and uh the interesting thing about that is that that's consistent with god's law it's consistent with the constitution of the united states and it's consistent with the state constitutions of all these states, right? Equal protection, equal protection. It just simply says this: you're human, you're, you're human from conception. If equal, if, if if the greatest commandment is love your neighbor as what yourself, right? The question is, how do you want to be protected? Right. Do you believe that all humans deserve equal protection? That's the key issue, and that's what we want in all the states. Thing of a, uh, I don't know, weather vane, something of a back and forth depending on the on the issue he's not he's not a reliable conservative voice anymore at all but he is i think it'd be fair to call him a swing vote it's conceivable that john roberts would come and vote with the majority in order to be able he's the chief justice if he voted with the majority he'd be in a position to write the decision and if he wrote the decision uh you can bet quite a bit of money that he would not burn the house down so Thomas would burn the house down, take no prisoners, and Roberts, it would be a kinder, gentler reversal of Roe. Now, can we say the, one thing on that? Yeah, point? just so everyone knows too, I wanted to play through all this. It's only eight minutes long. It's almost done here. I wanted to play through all of it so everyone could hear all of Doug's thoughts on this. Some of them are actually very, you know, helpful and and good. But uh, go ahead. I was just going to say that the strategy um, articulated from the pro life industry has been primarily. Um, elect Republican presidents and elect Republican Supreme Court justices. That's been the strategy to overturn Roe. But we know that, I mean, since Roe, it's an interesting point that um, we haven't had a Democratic majority mm-hmm. on the Supreme Court yeah. ever. And even in the last 20 years, there were eight years where we had everything, the presidency, the House, the Senate, um, the court, all right. of that, and abortion still around. Still, And it was a conservative court that Passed. It was a it was a conservative really court, went. and then so. even in 1992, uh, we had an eight one, and the one Democrat was pro life. Still didn't do it, so we still couldn't overturn Roe. Right. So the the strategy that we've adopted um, isn't looking promising after five decades. It's not prophetic. It's not challenging, convicting, using the law word of God to address the issue. Fundamentally, that's the issue. How does God save sinners? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. People aren't coming to Christ. They're not having minds and hearts transformed apart from the gospel itself. So we have to have our mission to establish justice in these areas wrapped around always the prophetic mission of the gospel. In that, that, like, if it's not Christian or not gospel-centered, why are you doing it? Like, why rearrange furniture in a burning house? Makes no sense. So the situation, if if they fail to up uphold the Mississippi law, then I think it's fair to say, as Michael Dougherty uh, recently wrote in National Review, 
I think it's fair to say that the whole Federalist Society strategy of fighting the culture war has failed because they successfully recruited and got bright young law students to, you know, go into law to get them positions as clerks and uh, established as judges. You have all these top flight uh, Federalist Society type judges around the country. And then Trump appoints three of them. And, and you've, so you've got basically the, the Federalist Society strategy worked and they got Federalist Society types on the court. And then a case comes out of Mississippi that gives them the clear, clean opportunity to strike down Roe. And then they didn't do it. Basically, if they don't strike down Roe in this decision, then I think there's going to be an epistemic crisis among conservatives. And that's not hard to predict because I think we have an epistemic crisis going on already. <laughs> we would certainly hope so. <laughs> it would just yeah. get worse. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it, be a bad thing it would fragment, I think, the uh, already tenuous, already strained uh, relationship between conservatives. And it's, it'd, be, it'd be hard to predict what's going to come out of that. So mm. one last comment is if you are, if you are an abolitionist pro-lifer, basically if you're anti-abortion, and an abolitionist, and you've been fighting to outlaw abortion completely, top to bottom, in a place like Oklahoma, if you're an abolitionist and you have uh, railed against the incrementalists for being compromisers and temporizers and whatnot, maybe there'll be a reproachment here. If the Dobbs case goes the way it ought to, and the decision whether to restrict abortion is handed back to the states, it will have been the incrementalists who gave the abolitionists on the state level their opportunity. And it'd be nice if the abolitionists were gracious enough to say thank you. There you go. So uh, the that's, other thing I would say is it is the responsibility of the states already. Already. And it has been since the decree from on high was first foisted upon us yeah. decades ago. It wasn't law. Never was law isn't law, and uh, it's the state's responsibility anyways, Doug. And Doug, you, you've taught me that so well um, in terms of when you talk about the American system of government and all the rest, you have some amazing, amazing commentary on this particular subject. But when I think this is why I wanted to lay out everything indefinitionally at the beginning. Um, when you talk about like incrementalism versus abolitionists, the abolitionists aren't against a just and righteous increment like the category of the Supreme Court obeying Jesus, repenting, and t turning away from that law. Yeah, that's an increment, but we understand that that's just their responsibility in that category. It still hasn't established justice. And by the way, we wrote a brief in this particular case, but it wasn't a compromised brief. It was a prophetic right. brief. Very important. And also, when we challenge incrementalism, uh, Doug, Pastor Doug, we challenge incrementalism that in the increment is offensive to God. We're challenging the injustice, the abomination, the equal, unequal weights and measures, and the acquitting of the guilty in that increment. So that's, that's where I think, Doug, I'm saying you have sort of a blind spot because we're fighting against those particular increments because we ask the question, does God hate this? According to his law word, which we agree on, I'm going to grab you by your theonomy, brother, in his law word, 
does God hate this? Is this unequal? Is this partial? Is this acquitting the guilty? Does God hate it according to his law? And I think we have to answer, yeah. So that's what, when we talk about incrementalism and those sort of things, we're saying that is sinful, wrong, unjust, God hates it, right? Iniquitous decree. We're not talking about the category of the Supreme Court in their realm and that decision having to obey God and do what's right, right? And again, we're abolitionists who wrote something in that case. We're talking about when you're fighting against this, what's the most effective biblical strategy? We're saying it's prophetic, not pragmatic. And we're saying, guess what? It was the responsibility of the states from the beginning, and when Roe finally falls apart, it's going to go right back to the states where it was the whole time. And the question is, what's the church supposed to do with fidelity to mm-hmm. Christ in this? And we're saying you can never, you can never pursue an unrighteous increment, ever. I, I, I think you made a wonderful point about the impending crisis and people's lack of trust in public institutions like uh, the Supreme Court. And that, if you read the amicus, it's one of the reasons that it was written. The, the reason for the prophetic witness of the church to the federal government is to say, you are an authority that's been ordained by God. Mm. And God commands us to be subject to the governing mm. authorities, right? We're not radical anarchists. We're not advocating lawlessness. We're advocating a return to lawfulness. Right. We're advocating a return to the Constitution, to the law of God. And that's what you've stepped outside the boundaries of. So in order to restore the public trust of the people, in your lawfully delegated authority that comes to you from the people through the means of the constitution by god himself you need to repent and overturn uh this what what you've done this this awful Mm -hmm. thing that you foisted on the people and you need to uh, to obey god and so i think it's a great point about um you know restoring that trust that's one of the reasons for the brief is to do that to confront the supreme court and say you need to repent Mm -hmm. yeah i mean in The last thing you said there, um, I mean, if if Roe v. Wade is not struck down, I in return I would hope that the incrementalists would turn to the abolitionists and say, "Yeah, you guys were right." Um, but uh, but the thing that's I I don't know I I feel like Doug's missing is it's the pro life industry that has been killing the abolitionist bills. It's they're the ones that's prolonging abortion. Um, so, you know, for the thought to be like, well, then you, you owe them a thank you. It's like, well, no, because they're the ones that keep allowing this to happen. I mean, like the heartbeat bill in Texas, we talked about this. Everyone was applauding Texas right to life and all these guys that put forth this bill. And I'm like, time out. These are the same guys that killed the abolition bill that would have ended it outright. And we're applauding them now because they've, they've made it possible for the first 15 weeks, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I feel like people are missing. It's like, no, we shouldn't owe them a thank you. We should, we should owe them a whooping. Yeah. I don't thank them for their, I don't thank them for their compromise. I don't thank them for their unrighteous legislation that they put forth. I certainly don't thank them, Doug, for the fact that in all the states we've worked in, all the states with all of our bills of equal protection, that you would fully agree with, brother, I know 100%. Uh, it was the pro-life industry that fought against them. The pro-choice movement had hardly ever had to lift, lift a finger in any of those states because it was the pro-life industry that fought against them. It's a fact. I can demonstrate it to you. I can show you. Um, and so it, when it comes to thanking them, um, I, think that's, I, I think that's a blind spot in terms of 
what maybe someone like us, our position actually is on this. Let me do a quick uh, response here because I think it's important. Uh, Dean Thomas, Thomas Triplett said, to talk about another man while he's not in the room is gossip. I would say to that, um, that's not the biblical definition of gossip, and Doug would also himself disagree with you on that uh, conversation of what is gossip. If you would look through uh, Canon Press's feed over the last couple of weeks, he just did a uh, short, very helpful video on the issue of gossip. Um, So Doug also wouldn't agree with you on that. Also, Doug's my friend, and what we're discussing now is something that Pastor Doug has put out into the public square. It's his public teaching we're engaging with. Um, And so also, we haven't made any slanderous remarks about Doug. We love Doug. Doug is our friend. I also notified Doug before we did the show that we're going to, hey, brother, we're going to be doing this. Thanks for all you've done for us in the last month sort of a thing. We're going to try to engage some with your public comments to hopefully be a help uh, to people in this issue. So um, uh, talking about another man while he's not in the room is gossip is not the biblical definition of gossip, uh, not in this category. So hopefully that's a, a blessing and a help to you. Um, and um, apparently yeah. not. Apparently the answer is no. Yeah, I believe as a Christian man, y'all go after low-lying fruit, and you gentlemen need to repent. I would say standing for the preborn who are being murdered, as Doug said, in the amount of over 60 million babies, that doesn't sound like low-hanging fruit to me um, at all. I mean, the issue of um, the issue of equality for all humans and the issue of abortion, I, I wouldn't classify that issue um, as low-hanging fruit. I would actually uh, classify it as the premier issue of justice in our day. Um, and um, and I and I know Doug. Doug's my good friend. Uh, very, he's a very good friend of all of ours. And um, he wouldn't agree with what you're saying right now. I'm confident of it. Um, and uh, so, yeah. Uh, any last words here, guys? No, this is great. I think I would. My, my encouragement. I've just been thinking about it too. Obviously, we're going to stand accountable, like you said, for the the laws that we put forward. I mean, God says in His Word that you know He's going to judge the nation that sheds innocent blood. And the wrath that he brings will be the same for those that kill their children as those who turned a blind eye to it yeah. or who continue to let it happen. Yeah. Like that's, that's convicting for us when we're talking about you know, these strategies that many people want to exist side by side. Yes, let's do everything we can. Let's just throw the gamut at it. You know, run every play, like do everything you can. And no, it has to be equal protection. It has to be abolishing abortion because it's murder, because this is what needs to happen. I, th- I think it's hard for people to see. I think those two strategies, they aren't compatible if we're talking about appeasing tyranny and opposing tyranny. So, okay, this might help too. Don't leave yet, guys, because this is important. You just said something that totally missed it because I, I thought we, we could address that. I'm glad you brought it up. It's yeah. perfect because somebody asked the question like, I don't understand what the major difference between you and Doug is at this point because you're talking everywhere you agree, yeah. but where do you disagree? So they would say, our, our brothers over in, in Moscow at Christ Church would say, run every play. Run every play. Yeah. yeah. Well, we Do would everything. say, why not? What we would say is this: even the abominable ones, yeah, even the ones that God says are an abomination, run those plays. He yeah. says He hates them. Yeah. Run those ones. So that's where we're aiming with our brothers, and we've had these conversations publicly with them, even on on their own show. What we would say is, you you can't run the abominations. Can we at least yeah. agree on that? Yeah. Like we yeah. can't run the abominations, right? And if you look at the bill, and it's partiality and unequal weights and measures, and it's quitting the guilty, well, then we know what God calls it. So I can't run those plays. Don't run those plays because God says it's an abomination. Does God hate it? If God on the last day would say about that bill, yeah, I hated that. Can we run those plays? I'd say no. 
No, we should be prophetic. Yeah. And um, and so those are the differences is like, you know, I think between pragmatic and prophetic. And uh, I think that's that's the key issue. So Yeah. And anything that we do that kind of operates within that, the framework of a court that's commanding us to disobey God is, is something that we don't want to do. We need to abandon it. We need yeah. to jettison it and, and really push for urgent obedience in this area. Because yeah. that's what it comes down to. This has gone on for long enough and it needs to end. I was just going to say one challenge I would issue as we're closing here is, um, you know, I would say there's two major abominations in our nation. The one we're talking about in the alphabet people laws. Yeah. Right. And I don't believe Doug and I've never heard him treat the alphabet people laws this way. And I don't believe he would respond that way to those laws. I would believe he would want to outright (laughs) abolish those laws. Yeah. So my question is why the inconsistency? Why would you approach that, those laws that way, but these laws differently? That's right. Good point. So more could be said. I don't know. Maybe we'll have Doug on. Maybe we'll come to Moscow. We'll have dinner with Doug and his family. And then at some point there, we'll sit down and have a conversation with the camera there, just engaging, hopefully being a help to the people of God. Maybe that could happen. We'll see. I know we'll be in Moscow sometime. I think uh, James and Doug are supposed to still debate Pato Communion and all that. Heard, yeah. yeah. So I hope that happens. I'll tell you what, when that happens, I definitely want to go to Moscow. Um, we love our, our uh, brothers and sisters at Christ Church. We love Cross Politic, our boys there. We love Doug. And uh, we just hope that this conversation is a help, that it maybe it reveals maybe some blind spots in all of us and helps us to come closer and closer together because the end result that we're all aiming for is justice for the preborn. Doug believes that. We believe that. Uh, we're just trying to make sure we sharpen each other on this issue. Yep. Expose inconsistencies and sharpen up. So go to apologiastudios.com, A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A studios.com. Sign up for Bonson U for free. Sign up for All Access. Partner with us in ministry. Thank you to everybody who is partnering with this ministry. I will see you relatively soon on Ask Me Anything. I think that's coming up next week, I think. Um, that's Luke the Bear. Peace out. I'm Jeff. They call me a ninja. That is Zachary Conover. See ya. Don't forget to join us in South Carolina at the state capitol on March 5th for our rally for our Bill of Equal Protection. You've heard this. If it inspired you, come drive. Come from Georgia. Come from Florida. Come from D.C. or North Carolina, West Virginia, Kentucky. Come from Texas, wherever. And make sure everybody buys book from Canon Press. Yeah, bring book. Bring book. Catch you next time. It's all about humanity.